how did you um, develop the career you have now? Like what the state you went through and what were the struggles that got you that got you where you are now? There's only really been one struggle, and it's the only struggle that anyone really has in life, and that is um, carrying on when something knocks you down. That's the biggest thing that holds people back. It's the oh, I've, I tried something, it didn't work out. It's pointless trying something. I'm clearly not cut out for that mentality or imposter mentality of you might have studied something and you might be pretty damn good at it, but you look around and you think that other person, because they're already successful, they must be better than me. What's the point in trying to strive to uh, be successful in that industry? Because there's so many other people there that well, if you spend all your time competing mentally against all those people uh, the only person you should be competing against is yourself and the only way to compete against yourself the only negative way is to not continue to grow so keep doing something keep there's no such thing as failure there are only results positive or negative and the negative results are still a result with a positive outcome if you take action on them and learn that that way didn't work. So just do it differently, because if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to absolutely amazing and fantastic people, people who inspire us to do what we love. If you like the episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review. Today, we have an absolutely amazing guest. His name is Jonathan Royal. He is a man who is a connoisseur of hypnotism. It, he is, as he said, it, you name it, he's done it. And he is today going to help us debunk many of the myths held with hypnotism. Hello, Jonathan. Hi there, Marvin. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. I'm, I'm feeling hypnotic today. Well, um, look, I know this, this This obviously goes out on the audio podcast platforms and stuff. I'm just clarifying. Is there a video version at all? Uh, I will occasionally take short bits of the episodes and put it on YouTube or Instagram. As clips. Oh, okay, well, a little bit later then. Remind me and we can do an experiment. Now, it will work to a degree to people who are listening but it will work even better for people who can visually see what we do when we do that experiment. So maybe then you want to just take that bit where we do the experiment later and put it on YouTube so people can participate in it as well. So they can get an experience of what hypnosis is perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Cool. So, um, yeah, I'm here and I'm prepared to answer anything and everything you may throw at me in regards to all things, Hypnotic, because um, there is a lot of um, nonsense out there. But so you know, fire away, sir. So, what what is like your sort of journey into hypnotism? Because I hear from what I've seen and what I've found about you, you have had quite an interesting life. Um, right, it's more interesting, likely when when it wasn't happening to you. It's like anything; the grass is always greener, so to speak. Um, we tend to get to a point where we take things for granted when we're involved in them and it's happening to us. But I was born on a travelling circus. Um, so 
crikey, I was th literally three and a bit. So I was born in 1975. So by towards the end of 1978, I was Britain's youngest professional paid circus clown um, doing comedy and clowning in the circus ring with my dad, um, Tizzy the Clown, is um, he's called when he's doing clowning on Gandhi Circus in um, England. And that's, I, my life started off growing up on the circus and seeing from the inside that things are not always as they seem to be. And by that, I mean, in the circus, you can go and see things that look death defying and incredibly dangerous. But let me tell you, having been on the inside, a lot of them, as long as you're using the right equipment, are pretty relatively safe. Uh, with the exceptions, obviously, of, um, you know, if you're on a high wire and you fell off without safety net, you're likely to kill yourself. But what I'm saying is the stuff that looks dangerous that actually isn't as dangerous as it looks. And invertly, there's stuff that doesn't look that dangerous, might be visually entertaining and amazing looking, but it doesn't look that dangerous that actually, if it goes slightly wrong, can prove pretty damn um, dangerous for the performer. Things are not always the way they appear. It can often be inverted. And I learned this at a very early age. And that view on life developed further when I kind of rebelled against my dad because of, when I got to being about, it was shortly before I was um, seven, my mum wanted us to settle down and live in a house rather than traveling with the circus. My dad carried on traveling and I would go at the weekends and holidays and perform with him. But during the week, rather than going to different schools, we, we then got a house and I, I went to the schools. Well, school rather than traveling around. But I started getting bullied by the teachers because I was getting a peer. I was appearing in national newspapers here in England. There's a paper called The Daily Mirror. And in there I was uh, featured at the age of six with a headline, Alex, the circus sixty. And after that went in, pointing out that I was performing weekends, holidays and getting paid for it. I think the teachers worked out I was probably earning more money than them. I don't know if it was jealousy or something, but I started getting, for want of a better phrase, bullied by the teachers, treated like shit. And school became kind of a living hell. So I, I, I practically begged my mum to take me out of that school, but there were no other schools nearby. So we actually ended up moving by the time I was eight to a town about seven, eight miles away, just so I could go to a different school, where fortunately the teachers were great about the fact that I did performing and appeared in the media on reasonably frequent occasions. But unfortunately, the children, the other pupils, um, found it weird and targeted me as the odd one out. So the bullying stopped from the teachers, but started from pupils. And I kind of blamed this on my dad, because I figured that if he'd not got me into doing the circus clowning, then I wouldn't have been in the media, then I wouldn't have become the victim for bullying. But by this point, I kind of got addicted to an audience applauding or laughing at the right times, because it gives you that feel-good feeling, um, dopamine release in the brain. It's like you'll hear a lot of performers say it's the best drug and that's why when they're not on stage they'll often feel like or they've not performed for a while they'll, they'll feel really down and low and that's why a lot of them end up turning to drugs 
alcohol, sex and other stimulants to try and get some sense of that feeling they get when an audience is clapping or laughing at the right time. So I stopped doing the clowning, but I wanted that applause. And from an early age, my hobby, because I was getting paid to perform as a clown, but my hobby was magic, as in conjuring tricks. And indeed, at the age of four and a bit with my dad, we were on the Golden Mile in Blackpool promoting the Paul Daniels Magic Museum that was on the Golden Mile, doing a head guillotine illusion out the front and then getting people to come in and if, if, if you're in a different country hearing this, if you just go on uh, YouTube and type in Paul Daniels, you'll soon see what a major star he was, um, yeah. on, on, you know, in Britain. So all the money I was earning at that young age, I was buying magic and I was fortunate that we also knew a lot of magicians because we were in show business and I was getting taught stuff. So when I rebelled against my dad and stopped doing the clowning, I already had put together a a reasonably professional, almost standard magic act that I could then turn to performing magic and doing magic shows to get that applause uh, or laughter or different audience reactions that were relevant that, um, as it does for many performers, made me feel valued and, and kind of worthwhile. If you like, it is like a drug, a psychological drug, performing the reaction. So I was rebelling against my dad, but I was still performing and I then quickly discovered that it wasn't so much the fact that it was, I'd been a circus clown that caused me to be seen as the odd one out, just performing in general. I was still getting bullied by the kids when they saw me in the papers as a magician and doing stuff like that. So I became very depressed when I wasn't performing, it's very much a loner. Um, and I came across a book when I was about 10, 11, called in, in the library, in the adult section, called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Oh, yeah. And I, th I saw the title and I thought, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Hang on. If I could do that, then they're not going to bully me. It seemed the obvious answer. So I got the book and I read it. And what I very quickly discovered is that the contents of the book, whilst they may be have sound psychological basis, and they do to a degree, and whilst they may work reasonably well for adults, using them on other adults, they don't work at all well for an 11, 12-year-old trying to use them on other 11, 12-year-olds to stop themselves getting bullied. In fact, if anything, it actually makes matters worse. Um, so that didn't help, but what I did notice when I took the book back to the library, it, its contents having spectacularly failed, that um, in that same section, because I, I saw it in the section next to where the magic books were, uh, the sports and pastime section had the magic conjuring books in the next to it was the psychology and self-help. And I noticed a book by a guy called Emile Coué, C-O-U-E, um, a French guy, no longer with us, dead years ago, but he's very famous for coming up with the saying, day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. He was kind of the guy who came up with the idea of giving yourself positive thinking, self-affirmations to help program yourself to think positively so that positive things will manifest in your life. Um, I suppose you could classify it as being the, he planted the seed years ago for what in 
more recent times has grown into what people call the law of attraction, the secret and all that kind of... Um, I was going to say bunkum, but it isn't bunkum. It, it works if you use it right. The trouble is these books that are out there that make millions of millions of dollars and pounds for their authors don't quite explain it right or people don't understand it and use it right because if they did then the kind of self-help publishing industry will be out of business because people wouldn't need to buy any more books yeah and yeah actually the self-help uh, publishing industry is growing every year and is a multi-billion pound industry where people buy books again and again and again which kind of tells you that that means that either a what's in the books doesn't work or that the people who buy the books uh don't put it into action right or they do put it into action right but then they it seems like too much effort so they give up doing it yes oh. it's, it's funny that you mention all that yeah exactly but i i there's a youtuber called James Janney and he exposes a lot of like pyramid schemes and a lot of sort of things of law of attraction as well and like gurus. Mm -hmm. and one of the things that they play on is that they will get this sort of high that you get from drugs that makes them keep getting it and so they feel like they're progressing but there's no concrete results that they're progressing or getting what they want and exactly what you said there yeah I mean yes. they would or if they if if what they said worked because then they wouldn't need to buy the products but the thing is, what they say does work in essence, but it doesn't, they don't tell, they tell them enough, like you've just said, to kind of get that short-term high, a feel-good factor, but with no long-lasting kind of results. So they have to buy the next piece of the jigsaw and the next piece, and they may or may not ever piece it all together. Whereas if you're told all the bits of the jigsaw and shown how to fit them together then you won't need any more books. You won't need any more audio cassettes, sorry, compact discs, downloads, whatever, because you would already have all those abilities within you to be able to then utilise them, um, adapt them to whatever context or situation in your life. And most of the self-help industry, personal development industry, is um, a lot like religion, really structured to keep people dependent and coming back and i i really don't agree i really don't agree with that at all um yeah it's basically sharks effectively they're playing on vulnerable people i don't know someone who's been bullied or down and they think oh i can't do this but they give them that hope and they keep them hooked hmm. yeah and, and a lot Lots of these gurus, I call it gurus, I mean, it's ironic because my website's magicalguru.com. But all the word guru means is teacher. And the truth is that if you teach somebody properly, it should be like, and I'm not in any way religious, but it should be like that biblical saying, teach a man to fish, uh, sorry, give a man a fish and he, you know, he feeds for a day, teach a man to fish and he can eat every day kind of thing. It should be like that. But they don't teach you how to, I'm going to use the metaphor, they don't, they might teach you to fish some of these girls, gurus, but only in certain kinds of water. They don't tell you about having to use different baits in different waters or different techniques in different situations. No, you'd have to come back for a different course for that or a different book. No, just 
give people what they need in the first place is what it should be. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that briefly because along my journey, I was seeking answers and um, Dale Carnegie's book didn't work, as I said, but I ended up noticing this MLQA book and there was, as well as his affirmations, there was a technique in there called the law of reversed effort. And in a thing called NLP, they term it what resist persists, or they say you get more of what you focus on in life. And this is why a lot of so-called law, um, law of attraction stuff doesn't work for people, because they spend too much time thinking about what they don't want. So they don't want to be poor. They don't want to, um, you know, be a failure in a certain area rather than being focused on the outcome, becoming the successful individual or having more abundance of money. And if your mind is focused or allowing to entertain the ideas of the possibility of failure or it not happening, then that is going to create a bigger subconscious, unconscious, your personal laptop computer mental image that's going to plant as a negative seed and grow bigger, just like the person who goes for a job interview, sitting in the waiting room, thinking to themselves, I hope I don't mess up. I hope they don't ask me the wrong question. I hope I don't look nervous when I get in there. And what they're doing is giving themselves suggestions, actually, that they're entertaining the possibility that those things could happen. And by telling themselves those things could possibly happen, it is more likely they will go in there and screw up in some way and appear nervous and ridiculous. Whereas if they'd focused on, okay, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to breathe deeply and regularly, I'm going to be calm, all I can do is do the best, answer anything I'm asked honestly, and I'm either going to get the job or I'm not. The truth is, either my honest answers are going to be enough to get the job or they're not. Um, then there won't be anything to get stressed, worried, anxious, caught up on for the unconscious mind, our imaginations to blow up out of all proportion. So they're far more likely to actually be calm and relaxed and in turn to come across better and in turn have an increased better chance of actually getting what they want. So one thing I want to ask on top of that is, so there's the book on Napoleon Hill, right? Where he's- Think and grow rich. Yeah. And he claims to have interviewed that person. But when you look at the details, the person he claimed to interview had completely different beliefs to what it says in that book. And him himself didn't do that well. Um, but he said that, yeah, as you said here, you should just think about, like, as, as effect, um, think about success and about the outcome, what you're going to get. But one of the things that I want to look into is how... If, if you just it's good to think about the outcome but what if what if like i mean someone punches you in the face and you still think oh like oh i'm going to think about positive thoughts or this and that i mean where does that come in well um funnily enough um that's kind of where i was going because in that book by mlqa the law of reversed effort that i mentioned it, it gives the idea that the word try is a powerful suggestion if you tell somebody to try to do something the word try implies the possibility of failure or it being difficult, okay? And if they get caught up on that idea, it's more likely to become a self-fulfilling prophecy that it doesn't occur for them, which is why you will see um, hypnotists on stage telling people to 
place their hands together and squeeze them together tightly and imagine them gluing, locking, welding, cementing together. And at the end, they'll say to them, okay, now try to separate your hands. The more you try, the more they stick, lock, glue, weld, cement, fold together. Well, yeah, part of it is the mentally imagining those ideas of the hands being glued, locked, welded, cemented together. But the biggest factor is the word try, planting that seed of doubt, the idea that there's the possibility there that it will be difficult or impossible to separate their hands. And I read this in the MLQA book and the next day when the bully who most days would pin me against a wall and slap or hit me and then walk off laughing his head off with his little mini gang, came up to me and pinned me against the wall. Prior to him doing what he normally did, which was to, you know, basically start saying disgusting and offensive insults and stuff so that his little gang would laugh his little cult following would laugh at him for a while before he got fed up and decided to hit me. I thought, sod this, use what they call in NLP a pattern interrupt, which is to do something unexpected that people don't expect to occur so that their mind suddenly goes, what, uh, what's going on? That's not meant to happen. And then in that moment, while they're in that kind of dazed sensory overload state, you give them, uh, if you give them a, a, a suggestion, a command, it's more likely to be uh, acted upon because they're in that day state of what the heck's going on that's not supposed to happen and then their analytical critical faculty that normally rationalizes things in everyday life is too busy trying to work out what was going on that just confused them so when they get an instruction they just kind of act on it that's the theory at least uh, I didn't know if it worked at the time and I just turned around and put it in and said why waste time trying to, you know, make jokes about me or insult me? Just bloody hit me if you're going to do it. Go on, try, try and hit me now. <laughs> because I figured I had nothing to lose because I was going to get hit anyway because I knew that's what happened every day. So I had nothing to lose. And what happened is, to the moment of saying, you know, why waste time? Why not just hit me now? It's almost like a glaze look came over the person's eyes, like, what the bleeping hell's going on? And then I bombarded with it. Well, try, just hit me now. Try, try and hit me now. And they just suddenly let go of me, turned to their little cultish group of a few other, you know, pupils, looked back at me and went, I won't repeat the exact words because it was swearing, but it was basically F off, you effing idiot. You're an effing lunatic. Stay away from me. And got the uh, little group to follow them because they, they they clearly, looking back on it now, weren't expecting that. Would have been the last thing they expected and didn't know how to rationalise it. It was sensory overload, like the book said. And you either need a conclusion, the mind seeks a logical conclusion, or a retreat, an escape from it. It's kind of when you get in the okay. fight or flight mode. And... Never, never after that day did that particular individual basically say a word to me or come near me. It, it, and that was the first time I thought, oh, there's something in these psychological techniques um, and started digging into it and looking into it more. So to answer your question of what good positive thinking or these kind of techniques, if you've been hit, well, used correctly, they can stop you from 
getting hit. Um, but also, you know, if you have been hit and attacked, it's this is a very severe example, but there are people out there who, uh, and I'm not making light of things, I want to make that clear, there's people out there who get raped and it ruins their life completely. That's it. For the rest of their life, they're having flashbacks. They've got what is arguably called post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, they develop a victim mentality. They see the dark side of everything, depression, anxiety, panic attacks set in. Just everything that negative that you could think of happens. But there's people that experience similar rape situations, sometimes even worse, who, after the initial shock uh, and trauma, rather than going down the men, uh, victim mentality route, take it as a life-changing, defining moment and go, this is not going to beat me. And I'm going to help other people to avoid becoming victims. And you see, if you look out on the internet or on blogs, websites, or in women's magazines, especially, they regularly do features on, on people who've like, the worst thing you could imagine in life's happened to them. But rather than, you know, becoming one of those people that life goes downhill from there on in, they take that as a focal point, a motivation to not let it drag them down. Two, use that as the thing of, you know, today might seem a bit crap. The weather might not be wonderful. I might not have that much money, but you know what? Nothing can ever be as bad as it was the day when X, Y, Z occurred. So let's crack on and make the best of this. And they're two extremes of the scale. And for the majority of people, thank God, life comes somewhere more in the middle. But life, your, your world... The one thing that you can control, as it were, and have power over is the way you choose to react to any and all situations. Okay. And may I ask, so do you, how, how is sort of the metaphysical and yourself sort of connected? How is that all connected? What, let's just clarify, what do you personally mean by metaphysical? So when people are saying like your thoughts and your mind, how does that shape the universe and all that? You know, it was how. Well, you know, to some degree, it depends how arty farty, winky wanky, tree hugging, new age bullshitty you want to get. Um, <laughs> to some degree, there is an argument that uh, you know there is a universal consciousness that we all tap into. It's just some of us do it. Uh, more regularly than others and there's an argument that um, people like Nikola Tesla uh, the great inventor and Einstein tapped into this universal consciousness because they often talked about waking up and having had dreams that gave them ideas or they didn't know where the idea came from and they actually make reference to that, that you know they may have tapped into a universal consciousness maybe maybe who knows we can't prove for definite that there isn't such a thing so we have to kind of entertain the possibility personally um in terms of how do our thoughts affect the world well obviously if everything you do is a negative thought with negative intent and you have zero um 
regard for your fellow human being or for the planet or for the environment, then it's going to have a neg negative effect to some degree on the world. Of course it is on other people, their reactions to you, um, uh, the environment slowly apparently getting worse. But, you know, again, it, it, it's not rocket science. If you, I don't care whether people want to be vegetarian, meat eaters, vegans, whatever, whatever they want to do, that's their own choice. All, all I would say is that generally speaking, if you do something natural, something that's completely normal and natural, you will tend to in the long term get natural, good, positive results. Now, with food eating in nature, in the wild man tended to eat both vegetables and meats or history shows us. Now, your kind of vegetarian, vegan camper people would say yes, but you know, there's evidence that um, eating meat and stuff can cause cancers and that. Well, actually, look into it deeper. The, the, what the evidence actually tends to show is that processed um, interfered with meats, but also this could be plant-based produced foods as well, if they've been sprayed with pesticides and all this, that, the other. It's the unnatural things that cause the unnatural results physically. And so it's the same way with the mind. If you have negative thoughts all the time, or you see the worst in situations, you are far more likely to end up dipping into depression. You are far more likely to end up experiencing anxiety and stress, um, or having panic attacks, or if you do encounter a traumatic or, you know, painful one-off unexpected life experience, if when you experience that, you were already in a depressed, anxious, stressed out, overwhelmed state of mind, you're far more likely to go down the victim mentality route than if you were more positive and out, you know, positive thinking, more go-getter, more confident prior to that traumatic experience happening, when, yeah, it may knock you down a few pegs, but because you were already more, I'm going to say, energised like a battery, so to speak, that when it's deflated a bit, you're still at a higher level than the negative thinkers were to start with. So you're more likely to go down the, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to use it as motivation to never let life take me that low ever again. Okay. Type, state of mind. Um, what what was your sort of journey into sort of under yeah to becoming a hypnotist and sort of so you you sorted out a bully through doing that but like what was your journey into like becoming a f fully understanding like hypnosis and the way the brain works? Well, the first thing I did was take a a um, training course in hypnotherapy which i was actually only it was 19 uh early 1989 at the time so when i'd passed the course i was still only just 14 years of age uh, needless to say i lied about my age on the application form because this was a correspondence distance learning course 
I figured that they probably wouldn't let a 14-year-old or 13 as I was when I started taking it, 14 when I passed it, take it. So I lied and said I was 18. Only after I'd passed the exam did I contact them and say, I've got to come clean, I'm not 18. And after much deliberation, they ended up issuing me a new certificate with my proper date of birth on because they said, well, at the end of the day, you passed the exam. We're not that happy you lied, but we do agree that we wouldn't have let you take the course in the first place if you told us up from your age. But as you passed the exam and you've done the coursework along the way, we can't take it away from you that you passed and you clearly understood it. So I became the youngest ever member of the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and Psychotherapists. Um, the, the time was run by no longer with us, he's died now, but Dr. Brian Howard ran it. And from there, I actually started treating people, advertising for clients, although I lied about my age, because I figured clients wouldn't come to a 14 year old. So I used the certificate I had that made out I was 18 when I went to the local newspaper and said I passed. So that the photograph showed me with a diploma, but it kind of confirmed that I was 18. That was the only bit of kind of credibility because to be honest, I looked about 14. Um, but I did get clients and I started making money and I, I just put my neck on the line because I was used to dealing with the media and ended up within a couple of weeks and I'm still only 14 on uh, BBC, Greater Manchester BBC radio, uh, stopping somebody smoking with hypnosis. And they followed it up again several weeks later to see whether the person had started again. And when they reported that the person was still a non-smoker, that got me a whole bunch more clients. And I just then carried on learning, doing courses, reading books. But I learned far more by helping people in the real world. But also then, great, it was earning me money, but it wasn't getting me a round of applause. Because strangely enough, at the end of a therapy session, the person doesn't tend to stand up and clap. And I still had that desire for that audience reaction. And I saw a stage hypnotist perform and I thought, hang on, I know how to hypnotize people. And there was a little bit of mention of stage hypnosis in the course I did. Maybe I should give that a go. And I did. And at first it didn't work too well. Then I got the hang of it and also sought more training on that particular niche area. And ended up being able to do a stage hypnosis show. And by, by the time I was uh, 15 and a half, I was regularly doing hypnosis shows in pubs and clubs and kind of mastered that side of it. But because I'd come from a background of trickery and deception, whether it was magic tricks or the truth behind how certain things worked on uh, the fairground or the circus, both of which I grew up around, I looked for the what I perceived as the tricks, the easy way of making things work and making them work more consistently and regularly. And it was that rabbit hole that led me to studying persuasion, psych, more conventional psychology, um, and looking at emotional and psychological manipulation, as I would term it, um, what is more commonly called by people out there, mind control techniques, how to get people to do things against their will. How do governments brainwash, manipulate people with propaganda? How do they 
control the media to slowly drip feed a narrative, a message into the human mass populace's consciousness so that they slowly it builds up to the point where people believe something for which there's actually no particularly really good evidence if you were to start digging. And yet, by that point, it doesn't matter about evidence because if the majority of a population have been led to believe something, it doesn't matter how often that small minority tell them it's not true, it's too late then. It, it, it's in there. So what you've basically said there is like the men in black thing, where he says that a person is smart, but people are stupid. Group mentality, people are much easier to manipulate in groups than they are as individuals, without a doubt. Uh, which is one of the keys to doing a stage hypnosis show. The more volunteers you have on stage, the more likely they are to unquestionably accept the suggestions and commands they're given to the point where it becomes an automatic reaction to respond to whatever the hypnotist says because they don't feel um, victimized and on their own because they're surrounded by other people doing silly, daft, crazy things that the hypnotist has made them do. Whereas if there was just one person on the stage and everyone else staring at them, the pressure's on. They're far less likely to do it. Okay. And when you look at a lot of like hypnosis out there, what, I mean, how many sort of branches are there? Like you have NLP, you have like stage hypnosis, like hypnotherapy. There isn't, there isn't a ton of branches. There's a lot of people that come up with different names and repackage elements or old techniques and give them different slants so they can justify giving it a fancy name that they can copyright. And then because they've trademarked some fancy name, they can charge people money to take that course so that they can license them then to have a certificate in it and to use the name and be able to use a logo on their website and apparently attract clients. The truth is, the underlying reason why all of those psychological techniques, whether they're called hypnotherapy, NLP, Tibetan mind control, whatever the frigging hell it's been relabeled as, the reasons why they work are always the same when they do work. It's just most of these people teaching things don't teach their students how it truly works because they want them to come on the next course when they come up with another fancy sounding name and apparently fancy technique. When at the end of the day, they're just important seeming ritualistic processes for people to focus their conscious attention on. And when their conscious mind is focused on something to the exclusion of everything else, that means that then the critical faculty, analytical area of the brain, that section that rationalizes things and questions, is this right? Is it wrong? Kind of goes to sleep or goes on a lunch break type of thing. And at that point then, what the hypnotist or therapist or um, person with nefarious persuasionist, maybe they might be called, commands or suggests to the person. Very little conscious attention is paid to it. There's not really any rationalization or critical faculty analysis of it. it just goes into your personal necktop computer, your unconscious subconscious mind, and just like a computer given a command and then enter is pressed, immediately the command's put in, as long as the, you know, the admin password's already been put into the computer, it automatically is accepted and acted upon. So what 
basically like NLP or anything you hear is basically hypnosis or that, that's what it is effectively it's all the same thing hypnosis NLP is hypnosis generally without people closing their eyes and going through a formal trance induction process. But the truth is, and the important seeming ritualistic process, such as those used in NLP, still fixates the conscious mind into following some process or routine. Uh, so although the eyes are open and you're in what's known as the waking state, you are still getting critical faculty analytical area of the mind bypass and therefore um, ultimately suggestions are going to the unconscious subconscious mind. So yeah, it is doing the same thing, but just with the person's eyes open. Okay. And what, what do you make of maybe some misconceptions or what, I mean, what do you make of the various, as we spoke earlier before we started the podcast, like you basically described hypnosis like a hammer is what you do with it. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, a hammer, a claw hammer, for example, one end you can use for hammering nails in the other end for pulling them out. That's one option. A creative individual might use that hammer to... Um, hammer a screwing rather than a nail because you can't find a bloody screwdriver um they might use the claw hammer end to pull not a nail out but something that's been embedded uh, you know a, a tent stake a stake for keeping your tent safe when you're camping there's different uses but then someone with nefarious negative intent could come along take that hammer and use the claw hammer end to um gouge somebody's eye out or they could use the normal hammer end to whack somebody on the head and crack the skull and kill them. So it's the positive or negative intent of the tool that um, helps define the outcome. And so it is with hypnosis or, or hypnosis is just a word, just as NLP is a phrase, uh, as are there's loads of phrases out there for what is using really just emotional and psychological manipulation and persuasion techniques. And yes, emotional and psychological manipulation techniques can be used positively to help people overcome habits, addictions, fears, and phobias, to make them feel better about themselves, um, to make them have a happier relationship, to make them more productive at work because the, you know they feel better about themselves or more confident. But Consequently, they can also be used by those that want to, to make people feel scared and to incite fear into them or to make them feel shitty about themselves. So they don't attempt to progress up the career ladder. Um, you know, people have a, a volatile office relationship with someone else they work with. That person may purposely be using emotional manipulation techniques to make you feel inferior so that you doubt yourself so that you don't climb up the um, career ladder so it gives them more chance of getting the promotions when they come up rather than you it's, it's every area of life religion uses fear to massively manipulate people the invention of the idea that if you do something bad you're going to go to hell when you die and yet in recent times we've actually had 
priests and popes come out and admit hell is a manufactured construct. Um, you know, it's emotional and psychological manipulation is where it's at. And it's going on all around the world right now as we talk on, at the end of January 2021. Um, because most of the world is still either in lockdown or in some kind of restrictions related to, um, I'll just say the word pandemic, and I don't want to use other words because natural algorithms of podcasts have been getting banned for using certain words. Um, and the thing is, like in a lumpy, the media, look at them, are reporting negative scare stories every day. And there is evidence out there that if people are fed a diet of negative thinking, scare stories and fear, that it will put them in a state of anxiety, low level anxiety or panic or the fight, flight and freeze response, but the freeze bit where it's fight is kill the dinosaur and live another day and have something for tea. Fire, flight is run like the clappers to get away. Freezes that moment where you go, uh, what shall I do? Shall I try and fight the dinosaur? Shall I run away? I don't know, what shall I do? What shall I do? It's that sensory overload where you freeze. That sensory overload, like with the bully when he's thinking, what's this idiot doing telling me to try and hit him and get on with it? That doesn't make sense to my view of the world. That shouldn't be happening. He's supposed to be scared of me. That's what's been... It's that sensory overload, that pattern interrupters, uh, NLP calls it, that can put people in a state that when you're stressed, doubt or in fear, your immune system does not work as well as it does when you feel positive, happy, relaxed and calm. That is a proven physical, physiological fact pretty much any medical GP on the planet or medical expert who's been honest will admit to anyone that if you are relaxed, you've got good sleep patterns uh, and you have good physical and psychological relaxation and generally speaking in life, uh, positive thinking and taking positive actions, that your immune system will be better uh, and your natural your health generally will be better than somebody who is extremely stressed, overworking themselves, getting disrupted sleep, uh, always feeling anxious and stuff, whose immune system will be lowered. So why the frigging hell haven't the media for the past 12 months, rather than focusing on all the negatives, yes, report the news, say X number of people have died, say that um, we need to take certain precautions to keep everyone safe of course do that but why don't we have front page stories that are the biggest bit focused on the positive like the increase in the number of people surviving uh the large percentage of people that um if they do get said uh illness um only have very mild symptoms the positive things you can do to keep yourself and others safe. Reframe it as positive things you can do to help yourself and others, rather than put it across as, if you don't do these things, everyone's going to die. It's the same message, but without instilling fear into people, um, which then arguably would help them 
build up their immune system, which ironically in the past few weeks, the kind of past four to six weeks, the World Health Organization and other credible sources, I'm saying, saying credible, some people may agree that they're just following an agenda, but I'm just saying not a conspiracy theory source, of sort, normal sources have come out and said, oh, look, you know what? If you take certain vitamins and supplements and do certain natural things, you will help bolster your immune system and are less likely to contract this particular corona illness. I won't say the full word, otherwise algorithms can uh, flag. And yet you look back, they've always known this because, you know, in flu seasons, years and years gone by, they always say to people, take your vitamins, take your minerals, eat this right type of stuff, and it'll bolster your immune system. So why now are they focused on the negative? Well, one, I would argue, as does my documentary, Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis, it's time for the sleepwalking zombies to wake up, which you can watch free of charge on my website, magicalguru.com. I would argue that this pandemic is very real. People are dying, yeah. I'm not one of these people who's going to tell you it doesn't exist. No, it does exist. It's happening. People are dying. It's tragic. But it's not as bad as the making out. And they're amplifying it up for their own benefit. I'm not saying it was planned out. I'm saying if this has happened and they thought, oh, we've had a thing that's documented fact out there for years, um, planned called Agenda 21, that was updated and called Agenda 2030. All you have to do is go and look at websites like the World Economic Forum. This is a, an intergovernmental website where governments around the world are participating in this. Not a conspiracy theory, you just search World Economic Forum and you'll find it. And you'll see that they've encompassed what was Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030. Um, in their terms, um, the kind of plans to create sustainable, long-term goals for the world and society so that the environment's protected, so that we can um, reduce the population size to help the planet. Some might rephrase it as being so that we can find a way to depopulate the planet by hundreds of millions of people, because that's what they're actually after doing. And that's where things like um, the video where Bill Gates openly says, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we can likely uh, depopulate the planet by a, a big percentage. That video genuinely is out there. He said it. What his intent was through those words is debatable, but he definitely basically says if we do a good job with vaccines, we could depopulate the world by tons of people. Go look for yourself at the Great Global Reset. It's always been planned out. They're aiming to have all this in place by 2030. But what's come along that plays right into their hands, an opportunity where the world in general, I know there's people that don't fall into this category, but generally speaking, a large proportion of people, and you only need a reasonably large proportion of a group uh, for it to then become group mentality. And it doesn't matter what the rest of the people say then, however much evidence those other people have, 
if there's ever such slight majority of them are in the camp of we don't believe that, then cognitive dissonance kicks in, it's called in psychology, whereby they don't want to accept the evidence the other people show them, because if they did, they have to accept that what they previously believed and valued and thought to be real was a deception and untrue. And that would make people feel a bit silly or bad inside. So that is why they'll often then seek confirmation bias and only look at stuff that confirms what they believe to be true to be true. And the powers that be, the elites, know this and they use psychological and emotional manipulation through the media scare stories to create those subdivisions. And actually, you know, they're not bothered if people are disagreeing with each other because they know the minority will not win against the majority. And they know that by causing arguments and disagreements, it causes division in society. And it means that people are so caught, so caught up arguing the toss on social media with each other that they're not looking at the bigger agenda of what's really going on. And what's really going on, we're getting closer and closer to a cashless society um, where I'm not going to say we're going to be microchip because we can, we're already tracked by our mobile phones, you know. Even if you turn off the track, you can still be tracked. It's already happening. If you voluntarily use a phone device, you're being tracked, simple. And this ultimately can end up being the device you have to pay with rather than cash. All the things are already in place. It's not like some major bloody big conspiracies got to happen. All the things are already there with most people already with phones. All they've got to do is usher out cash and we're heading, if everyone remains asleep and doesn't start taking more responsibility for themselves, um, we're heading to become like China. Now, one of the things I want to look at is like, so, so tell us a bit more about your, so after you sort of started becoming a professional hypnotist, like what, where did you get to the stage you are now? Like, tell us about that. Mainly just through doing it, literally. Um, I just literally from the age of 14, I've constantly been seeing, not constantly, because obviously we're talking right now, but I mean, day in, week out, month out, year out. Um, I've earned my living through helping people with hypnotherapy, overcome addictions, fears, phobias, and whatnot. Entertainment-wise, through doing the getting people to do silly things on stage or on television, teaching other people how to do this, and then consulting for companies and organizations on how to sell more of their products, how to influence people through emotions in advertising um, so that they can sell more of their products, so they can make people believe in them. Um, I may have been involved in helping certain political candidates who chose to pay me a fee uh, understand the use of body language and voice tones. I'll give you an example. When you see politicians talking, a lot they will talk with their hands. And as they say things, I'll put the hands out, open fingers, so the hands and palms are open towards you. This is a non-verbal body language. It's kind of saying, look, there's nothing in my hands. Um, I'm not hiding anything. I'm being open and honest. That's the kind of psychological effect it has. And they will tend to, the more they're doing this, the more likely it is they're lying or being um, economic with the truth. 
telling you a small grain of truth, but stirring it so that you believe it in the context they want you to believe it in, which could be actually completely as removed from the actual reality of things as could humanly be possible. Um, so just basically every area, but in recent years, uh, it, it, it came to a head sort of in 2015, I really started to notice that they were ramping it up. The disinformation in the media, the lies, and what what was the end game? And the more I looked into it, the end game is this agenda 2030, the great global reset. Hence, I started putting together the documentary that got released in 2019, writing the book Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis to go with it, to expose bullshit on all levels. And that's the bullshit lies, dishonesty, and nefarious negative use of these techniques that goes on in politics, religion, uh, and all areas of everyday life to control people by the powers that be, but also the negative use of these techniques to influence and control people into buying things that are complete and utter crap. And also the bullshit that goes on that the vast majority of people in the self-help personal development industry are full of shit and are ripping people off. And that's why people buy book after book, course after course. If they were taught the truth up from properly, people would not need to buy book after book or go on course after course to feel as though they were achieving to something, to feel loved. Because every human being wants to feel loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued. And if there's any inadequacy or any element missing on any level with any of them, it will have a knock-on effect on their self-image, their self-confidence, their self-esteem and their self-control, which self-control is willpower. And if there's any knock-on effect on any of them, it will have a negative effect on their self-love, self-worth, um, self-respect and selfishness. Now, selfishness, I mean in a positive sense. I mean that in the sense like if you're on a plane and there's a problem, like the Eros tests will tell you, if you've got three kids with you, don't spend time putting your uh, kids' oxygen masks on first. Put yours on first so that you don't pass out, so that then you're not going to pass out trying to put the masks on your three children. Sometimes there's situations where you've got to be selfish to be selfless. If there's, an, if there's a negative element on any of them, then people feel like they've got a gap, something's missing, and they try to fill it. And people okay. will fill that either by overeating or trying to drown out that gap through overdrinking or escape that state of mind through drugs or try and get the high where they feel loved through recreational, uh, you know, sex addiction or through joining a cult so they feel part of a, a family, a circle. Okay. And people create these situations on purpose to make people feel bad so that they will get addicted to buying more books or courses or going to these sem expensive seminars or joining that religion and putting money in the um, a tithe or a contribution. You know, okay. it's, 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 it's not good. So, but one thing I'm going to look at is like, how did you um, develop the career you have now? Like, what the state went through and what were the struggles that got you that got you where you are now? 
there's only really been one struggle and it's the only struggle that anyone really has in life. And that is um, carrying on when something knocks you down. That's the biggest thing that holds people back. It's the, oh, I, I tried something, it didn't work out. It's pointless trying something. I'm clearly not cut out for that mentality or imposter mentality of you might have studied something and you might be pretty damn good at it, but you look around and you think that other person, because they're already successful, they must be better than me. What's the point in trying to strive to uh, be successful in that industry? Because there's so many other people there that well, if you spend all your time competing mentally against all those people, uh, the only person you should be competing against is yourself. And the only way to compete against yourself, the only negative way is to not continue to grow. So keep doing something, keep, there's no such thing as failure. There are only results, positive or negative, and the negative results are still a result with a positive outcome if you take action on them and learn that that way didn't work. So to do it differently, because if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. The only way you're gonna get a different outcome is by doing something different which is why when you look at people that held up as being mega successful and creative uh, in history, people like Edison who invented the light bulb. Well, we won't get into the argument that apparently somebody did before yes, him. Yes, yes, but don't. we're just, generally speaking, people say Edison invented the light bulb. And the metaphor is, uh, they say, um, but you, you know, why didn't you give up? Because there were 1,800, however many attempts, don't bother writing in with the correct number. But there, there was like thousands of attempts that you failed, it didn't work. And Edison's apparently said, well, I didn't fail. I successfully found out that wasn't the way to do it. So I knew I had to do something different. And eventually he found the way of doing it different that is what became his success. Yes, so but it's a bit like a lot of people that are really successful. They don't follow the crowd, but they struck basically what it is, is they find a way of bringing their unique product to the world that works for them that's what it is getting you've got to give time for your audience to find you so to speak um uh, an example um and he, he said he said some, some something similar to this to me in 1993 in 1993, I was also doing a bit from the performance side because I wanted the audience plot. I did a bit of dabbling into uh, the alternative comedy scene and I was supporting um, the British comedian Lee Evans, uh, a place called The Buzz Club in Manchester. And um, I'd, frankly, I died on my ass. what comedians call dying on their ass. Basically, I did what I was doing and people didn't really laugh when they should have done and the odd person booed and negative reaction we took we call it dying on your ass and afterwards I was in the dressing room and Lee Evans he wasn't famous at that point and if you're not in England look on YouTube but you may have heard of Lee Evans being in films like Mouse uh, Mouse Trap I think it was called and there's something about Mary and He's done comedy films as well, uh, Funny Bones and a few others. And he said, 
look, I'm only just starting. At this point, he was top of the bill, but in a comedy club. He wasn't big on telly or anything, and he wasn't filling theatres, but he got to the point where he was the headline act in the reasonable-sized comedy clubs. And he said, there were times when I died on my ass. And I said, what did you do? What, how did you alter the act? And he said, not massively at all. It's just that, you know, people hadn't seen this majorly um, physically expressive uh, visual type comedy in so many years since kind of musical days in England that they had nothing to compare it to. It took them a long time to get used to it. And he said, eventually the audience found me and it sort of took off from there. And sometimes it can be about waiting. It's easier these days. You can find out who your audience is a damn sight quicker because obviously you've got the digital channels of social media. And if, if, if you're doing something that resonates with a cross section of people, somebody is likely to hear about it and share it with other people in that cross section and you're going to get heard about relatively quickly. I'm not saying you're going to become a superstar immediately, but you're going to start to plant the seeds quicker than back in my day when I'm sounding old now, when there was no internet. Um, we had to do it the old fashioned way. So it, it, yeah, it's, but if you believe in what you're doing, you know, obviously if what you're doing is just a means to make money and it's not working, then perhaps it might be wise to try something else. But if what you do is a passion, is truly a passion, truly a vocation in life, something you think of more as a way of life, something that's a part of you as a human being rather than a job, rather than just a way to pay the bills. If it's something that you'd, you know, if, 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 if you won the lottery and you had all the money in the world, so you never needed to worry about paying the bills or where the next penny was coming from, if it's something you'd still choose to do because it brings you joy and happiness and a sense of identity of who you are, then for that kind of thing, then crack on. If you keep at it with passion, sooner or later, you'll find other like-minded people. It might be that the particular thing you do only has a small interest group, a tiny small interest group. And in the entire world, there might only be, say, 100,000 people are into that. But if it's not about the money and it's about the passion, 100,000 people should be enough potential audience for you to get your pat on the back and sense of achievement anyway. But if it was about money or an element of 100,000 people might not seem like a big target audience, but if each of them was to be giving you one pound or one dollar or one euro a week, that's 100,000 pounds or 100,000 euros or $100,000 a week. That's millions of pounds, dollars or euros a year. You don't actually need to become some major A-list celebrity always on television or always releasing videos that go viral and watched by millions of people to be able to live an income and lifestyle of what people perceive an A-list celebrity to live, if that's your desire in life. It comes down to what are your true values and what are your real triggers. 
what is it you really want? Now, one thing I want to look at, so there's two sort of things I want to look at. So one of the things I want to look at is how does someone go on and sort of find the sort of right path? Because, you know, as you said, a lot of self-help, they, they con people with this and that, but how can someone sort of apply hypnosis or that sort of technique to find out what's right for them and what's working for them and what they should go out and do with their life? There's, there's two answers to that. Let me give you the flippant one first. And this is tongue-in-cheek, listeners and viewers, okay? The obvious one is to go to magicalguru.com, M-A-G-I-C-A-L-G-U-R-U.com. And if it's a habit, addiction, fear, or phobia, anxiety, or if it's anything that um, could be classed as an issue that a hypnotherapist would deal with, just click on the page on my website that says hypnotherapy, scroll down and there's various videos on that page. One of them about the third or fourth video down is called the free virtual online treatment session. And the key thing is about this, it's free. And if you do what that video says in the way the video tells you to do it, and you imagine what that video tells you to imagine in the manner it tells you to imagine it, then you will overcome your habit, addiction, fear, phobia, or whatever. Simple as, and it will not cost you a single penny. Okay. And... If you want to, you know, generally in life, other things, goal setting, achieving what you want to achieve in life, then go to the same website, click on where it says Hypnosis Bookstore. And there are, uh, it will show you the top 10 hypnosis books in the world. Now, one of them is called the Encyclopedia of Self-Help, Personal Development, um, and it's got a mega long title, but it's called the Encyclopedia of Self-Help Personal Development and every other connotation of that. Okay. It will cost you... Say hello. Hello, people. Hello. <laughs> so... It will cost you... Um, I've forgotten how much it is, but let's just say this is a thick... It's as thick as an encyclopedia. It's A4 size. It's a about 500 pages, it's only about 20 pounds sterling. That one book, you will never need any other self-help book ever again. It's got goal setting in there. It's got how to achieve your dreams. It's got how to deal with panic attacks, anxiety. It's got how to deal with the imposter syndrome where you don't feel good enough and compare yourself to other people. It's got how to deal with anxiety, stress, depression. It's got everything. There's no other books, there's no upsell. Um, this is one of the reasons, incidentally, I'm nicknamed the British bad boy of hypnosis. Um, not so much because, ironically, I've done anything particularly bad. I did do some controversial stuff years ago to prove that controversial stuff could be done with hypnosis, where other hypnotists said it couldn't be. Um, but in recent years, it's more because the vast majority of hypnotherapists, hypnotherapy trainers, stage hypnotists, stage hypnosis trainers, personal development consultants and those who run courses in those areas and self-help, unless they're people that I've taught who, or who come to me for ongoing coaching and mentoring, uh, which I do with a lot of uh, the celebrity names, helping them with their businesses, then the rest of them hate me with a vengeance. You know why? 
Because if people listen to what I'm saying and put it into action in life, they will never need to waste um, hundreds and thousands of pounds on those people's books, CD programs, downloads, live events, because they'll already have all the keys they need. They want self-help? Get my encyclopedia of self-help personal development. It's about 20 quid. You'll never need to buy another book. What you'll need to do, though, is take action. Reading it won't be enough. You've got to put into action what's taught in the book. If you want to overcome your habit, addiction, fear, or phobia, go to my website, go to the therapy page, watch the free virtual online treatment session. Do what it says the way it says. Imagine what it says the way it tells you to imagine it, and it will cost you nothing. And you will, like thousands of other people have around the world, overcome your habit, addiction, fear, or phobia. Simple as, and you'll never need to pay a penny to a hypnotherapist. Um, it's that simple. If you want to learn how to help other people with hypnosis, take my Elite Hypnosis Bootcamp. It will cost you money, yes, but I guarantee you that in my bootcamp, which if you contact me, if you go on my website and click on the link, it says it's $5,000. If you contact me and mention this podcast, I will send you a link that will knock 90% off, which that means that for less than 500 United States dollars, you could earn up to 18 world-class accredited uh, qualifications and diplomas taught by 16 different world-class experts. Because It's not just me. There's 15 other teachers in there. Um, and I guarantee it comes with a full one-year 100% satisfaction money-back guarantee. The terms and conditions are on the website. Well, it guarantees that if you're putting into action what's in the boot camp, you will earn at least $12,000 United States dollars or 12,000 pounds sterling or 12,000 euros more bottom line profits in your business, whatever that may be, as long as you utilize the techniques taught in the bootcamp than you did in the previous 12 months before joining the bootcamp, or you get 100% of your money back. Um, none of the other trainers have got the balls to give that kind of guarantee. The fact is, it's simple as this. It's honest and upfront. It will tell you and teach you anything anyone else on this planet can teach you at a fraction of the price they would ever charge you. Because most hypnotherapy uh, qualifications will run anywhere in England from around uh, 600 pounds on the lowest end up to about three and a half thousand pounds at the top end. Whereas I'm saying that for $497, if you contact me for the discount link, you're going to learn everything that all of those courses could ever teach you from everyone else and a ton of stuff they'd never teach you and you'll never have to spend another penny again. And that you will earn the kind of money I've just said more in the next 12 months as long as you take action or you get your money back. No, one's, no one else has got the balls to do that. And that is why other hypnosis trainers don't particularly like me because I call out the fact that their courses are crap. And any course that tells you you cannot make people do things against their moral code or value, any course or trainer who tells you you cannot create a mind-controlled assassin, anyone who tells you it's impossible to create amnesia in somebody's mind and to splinter their mind into multiple personalities so that they will do things in everyday life and not know, do them, and the next minute not know they've done them, doesn't know what they're talking about and you should avoid with a massive barge pole because if they don't believe those things are possible and don't know how to do them, what right have they got to be teaching you how 
to use techniques to improve your life or help other people. Because believe me, when you understand how to get people to do the negative and illegal stuff, getting people to stop smoking or lose weight is a walk in the bloody park a million times easier and you get far more long-term, consistent, successful results when you know the techniques that would enable you to do what most of these people say is not possible. Right. Without going into too much detail, but how generally does the process of you going to hypnotize someone work? So I don't know if me and you are talking to Park and I'm in the pub or something and I'm saying, right, I'm going to hypnotize you. How would it work? Well, I personally would never turn around and say I was going to hypnotize you in the pub. Uh, why would I? Um, unless you've turned around and said you're going to pay me a certain amount of money to help you overcome your habit, addiction, fear or phobia. If you'd mentioned an addiction, fear or phobia, I would have turned around and said, go to my website, go on the therapy page and use the free video. I'm out to have a drink. I'm not going to interrupt my drinking and socialising. Um, wait till you're in the privacy of your own home and use the free therapy thing. But if you offered me money, my fee, there and then, then what would I do? I would, the step stage one is to tell you effectively to close your eyes. And once your eyes are closed, it becomes easier to imagine things. It also becomes easier to ignore other stimulus or stimuli in the environment. So that then when the hypnotist gives you suggestions to imagine, um, it is easier to conjure up those images in your mind's eye or to think about them, because not everyone conjures up mental images in glorious technical. Sometimes they're just thinking about it. But it's easier to focus in on that and that then everything else gets kind of fades out. It's like when you're watching a really good film and you're focused on the screen and you may be sat at home watching it on the TV and your, your mum, your dad, your wife, or your husband walks in or your brother and sister and says, um, hey, Marvin, do you, do you want a drink? And you kind of hear them, but you're in the film and it takes you a few seconds to suddenly come back away from the film to be in the room consciously and say, sorry, what, what was that? Because like you get lost, absorbed into the film. That moment where you're lost, absorbed into the film or into a really good book where same thing happens. What was that? Sorry, did, did you say something? Takes you a while to register that someone's telling you it's dinner time or whatever. That is arguably a trance state. You have been hypnotized by reading those words or watching that film. With a hypnotist, uh, their words conjure up the mental images that become the film in your mind. Is effectively what the most basic um, explanation of that would be let's let's try something this is the bit that you might want to take a video clip of and put on youtube so if you're listening to this it's going to be a hell of a lot easier for you to participate in this if you go to marvin's youtube channel i'm sure he'll put the link below the podcast so that you can find this video and uh, i would suggest to him that as well as mentioning his podcast name in the video title he puts something like um hypnosis experiment that way you'll be able to find it and you'll know which video it is so go and find that video and then we'll see you on the youtube channel okay those of you who joined us on the youtube channel uh excellent what i'd like you to do wherever you are sit down 
so that you can safely be calm, safe, secure on a chair. So you're sat in such a manner, you're not kind of like, if you were to suddenly fall asleep, which you're not gonna do, but if you were to, hypothetically, you wouldn't, if you flopped to the side, you wouldn't fall on the floor and hurt yourself. There'd be a safe arm of the chair. Get yourself in a position where you're gonna be safe for the next few minutes, okay? And when you've done that, that's excellent. I'd like you to uh, place your hands, both of them, out in front of you like so. So I'm trying to do this to my camera, but basically out in front of you. Place your arms out in front of you like so. I just realized I'm cabled into the uh, computer, so I can't go any further back than my earphones. But arms out in front of you like so. And then interlock your fingers. So the fingers of the left hand are against the back of the right hand. The fingers of the right hand against the back of the left hand. Press your palms tightly together. Thumbs down on top like that. And squeeze your hands together just as tightly as you can. And then take your top two fingers like that, your four fingers, and separate them about an inch. But look directly into my eyes on the video because I'm going to count backwards from three down to one. On the count of one, if you concentrate, as I'm sure you will, you'll find by the count of one that your fingertips will be sticking together. They'll pull together because on three, as you use your powers of intelligence, imagination and concentration effectively, it's almost as easy as I click my fingers that the world's strongest magnets are starting to attract the tips of your fingers together, getting closer and closer with every breath you take, every noise you hear, every word I say and every thought you think is on the count of two. You can imagine now it's almost as if someone's come along with a piece of rope and they've tied that piece of rope around your fingers and they're pulling that rope tight like a knot around your fingers. So it pushes your fingers together more rapidly, more closely so that your fingertips get closer and closer as you allow that to happen, proving to yourself you're using your powers of mind effectively and on one a vast majority of you should find that right now if they're not already touching your fingertips spring together like the world's strongest magnet is touching them together and i can see on here that at the very least marvin's fingers are definitely very close together but it may be that they're actually touching i think would that be fair to say yes Okay, in which case, each and every one of you, you can move them like you just did, but they did end up touching, which proves to me that you've just used your powers of intelligence, imagination and concentration effectively. Because really, you're the person who does the job. I give you suggestions, but you imagine them and can make them reality. But if you chose to resist, you could do in this short experiment. I mean, if I was over many days and months to use secret mind control techniques, I could do stuff, but this is just safe cooperation. So what? I, take your four fingers now and put them against the back of your hands. And now squeeze your hands together again like you did before, but then push your hands away from you like this. So you're looking at the back of your hands, you're looking at the, your knuckles, you're looking into your hands like this and you're pushing your hands away from you, and then push your hands up above your head. So your arms are straight above your head. Look up at your hands, at the back of your hands. So you're looking up at the back of your hands. That's excellent. Everyone at home, pushing their hands high up into the air towards the sky, towards the rainbow. I'm going to count from three to one. On the count of one, if you concentrate this time, and you use your powers of intelligence, imagination, and concentration effectively, as you did before, then you can just prove to yourself that you've done this correctly and find that on the count of one, your hands will be stuck fast, tight together till I clap my hands. When I clap my hands, they'll separate. But on three, just imagine 
that the fingers of the left hand are lock glued welded cemented to the back of the right hand and the fingers of the right hand are lock glued welded cemented to the back of the left hand it's almost as if on the count of two that you can imagine using your powers of intelligence imagination and concentration effectively just as you did before that it's almost as if the world's strongest superglue is sticking your hands in place as a one keep pushing your hands high towards the sky high towards the rainbow as though you're reaching for your dreams and just prove to yourself you've done this right and you should keep reaching high towards the sky towards the rainbow just try and separate your hands and notice that they're locked glued welded cemented you keep pushing high towards the sky towards the rainbow they're locked the glued the welded cemented tie clap my hands and then they separate you can separate your hands right now they come apart Weird crazy, for a lot of you at home that worked wonderfully like it did for Marvin, for some of you you just found it more difficult than normal and then you will have gone and suddenly eventually, but with a lot of effort your hands will have separated, drop a comment below the YouTube video and let us know how easily, how difficultly, or how not at all, uh, to what degree you were or were not able to separate your hands, or to what degree and speed your fingers with the magnets rapidly went together. Let's see how many of you were using your powers of intelligence, imagination and concentration effectively, because in those experiments, that's what it's about. If you focus on the suggestion you're given, that takes, uh, like I'm planting that seed, but it's you that uses your mind and allows it to grow into a reality. In that moment, um, becomes that your fingers come together with magnets or that your hands lock together but the moment I clap my hands they came apart for you um and the reason for that quite simply because you then allowed them to come apart because I told you in advance that would be the trigger the signal that would allow them to come apart the only reason they stayed together for those of you that did or were difficult to separate is down to the degree of your state of mind taking it seriously and using your powers of mind to visualize what I suggested to you. If you, if you visualized what I suggested to you, then your hands will either have locked and not come apart till I clap my hands, or they would have been incredibly difficult to separate. But let us know, let us know. Drop a comment below the video on YouTube. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be intrigued to see what happens. <laughs> It'll be interesting, yeah. You can always get a result if you're flexible enough in your approach, have enough different approaches available and have enough time available. That's and that's OK. And repetition is the key. That's why television advertising, seeing an advert once, doesn't make you automatically want to go out and buy that product, generally speaking, unless you're already thinking about buying that kind of product and synchronicity kicks in and it comes on. Generally speaking, you need to see that baked bean advert for Heinz baked beans maybe that goes, beans means Heinz and that earworm to get in your brain. You need to see it multiple times over multiple days so that when you're in the supermarket and you think, you know what, we need baked beans to go with what we're having for tea, that when you look on the shelf, you're more likely to change brand and pick up the Heinz baked beans than just picking up the supermarket's own brand. It needs repetition to get in there and grow. 
So that's what I mean. You know, it can be over a period of time. It might not be a case of spending 30 minutes with somebody on one day for, you know, the nefarious side of things, uh, such as mind controlled assassins. It's quite often a matter of only spending 10 or 15 minutes with somebody in a casual environment every day or a couple of days, but over a period of weeks or months that slowly brainwashes and conditions them to react to certain triggers and conditioned responses in the way that you want them to. So that down the line, you can then get them in an environment where you can fire off those triggers and arguably take control of that person's mind and direct them to do what you always plan to get them to do. Um, it's been a very interesting I mean thank you for coming on the podcast it's been very thank you thanks for having me you there's a lot of things that I can consider <laughs> I know there's going to be people out there who go hang on a minute you can't make people do things against their will yeah you can go on magicalguru.com click on extreme danger extreme hypnosis there is not just my documentary that's an hour and 45 minutes long that we're now giving away for free um, but there's also a, a web series that I did um, um, with a producer called Richard Willett, who works closely alongside David Icke, the British truth researcher. And David Icke's son's actually in my documentary, as you'll see. And we cover all the areas, religion, politics, education, um, advertising, the banking system. We cover every area of everyday life and demonstrate to you, give you the examples and proof of reality of where you are emotionally and psychologically manipulated and how that is done from all angles of your daily life on a daily basis. And also on my website under the television clip section, you can see me getting people to reveal their computer passwords to me so I can break into their computers and them um, having complete amnesia and not knowing that I've obtained that information from them which most hypnotherapists on the planet will tell you is not possible. Well, I did it on Channel 5, and I've done it on other TV shows around the world, you know? So for the layman, like someone yeah. who's, like, what's, what's, a, what's a little thing they can, someone can do in terms of hypnosis to help themselves? So in terms of dealing with someone trying to manipulate them, and then also... Not manipulation, but having more positive interactions with other people. The, the easiest way to avoid yourself being manipulated, whether that's consciously or subliminally, okay, whether that's through social interactions with family and friends, work colleagues, or it's on the bigger scale of everyday life through your religious minister, politician, advertising, or the media, is to set aside an hour and 45 minutes and watch my documentary, Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis. Because when it's pointed out to you where this has been going on around you all through your life, once you become consciously aware of those things that up till now have been happening at an unconscious, subconscious, subliminal level, you can never be blind to them again. And once you're not blind to them and you know they're happening, you then are empowered and have got the conscious choice to accept or reject. Whereas when you're not consciously aware of them and they get into your unconscious subconscious mind, you know what? You don't really have a choice to reject. As long as those messages are repeated long enough, 
it will take different lengths of time for different people. But as long as they're repeated long enough, if they're going in without conscious acknowledgement, which is where you can accept or reject, then sooner or later, you are going to end up being influenced and manipulated and controlled by it. So the biggest thing you can do is to become consciously aware of how these techniques are used. And that's the entire point of Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis, the documentary you can watch. Free of charge, again, we were selling it at one point on Amazon On Demand and Vimeo, but then the world went crazy and myself and the producer saw that the media were lying to people and politicians were lying to people and inciting fear and confusion into people and things we've talked about. And my documentary exposes this and helps people take control for themselves. And myself and the producers and everyone involved said, you know what, sod it. It's not about making money, let's take it off sale. So now if you go on Amazon Prime Video On Demand, you'll, say, you'll see it says, it's advertised there, but it says no longer available. That's because we're now giving it away free. And you can just watch it immediately by clicking the links that's on Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis page of MagicalGuru.com. And that'll take you over to the video where it's hosted for free on um, YouTube and also on Vimeo. Um, that is the, you've got to become consciously aware. Once you're consciously aware, you can choose to consciously accept or reject. When you're not consciously aware, with enough repetition, you are going to get influenced to some degree. Okay. Now, one thing I want to ask is what life advice would you give to, would you give to your younger self if you saw them now? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I think the piece of advice I would probably give to a younger me, and let's take an example of, say, an eight-year-old me, for that's kind of when things were starting to go down that depression route that I spoke about earlier because of the bullying. And I think this would apply to anyone now, however old they are, would be the reality of life is it's impossible to make everybody like you. There will always be people who don't like you or they think they don't like you, but the truth is they never met you. They never really know you, which is more prevalent through the fakeness of social media, but they don't like what you stand for or what you do or what you believe there's always going to be people that disagree with you and if you spend your life too focused on trying to please all other people all the time all it will ultimately do is cause you misery and pain except the fact that you're never going to please everybody but the, as long as you're not going to physically emotionally mentally or in any other way harm anyone with what you do then you know if they get upset and take exception if something you say or do well tough luck there's always going to be some people who get upset but as long as you're not going out physically ripping people off or hurting them um cliche treat people the way you'd expect to be treated yourself then have pride in yourself and just find the audience 
and the friends and the associates and the people that do resonate with you, that do like what you do, that do accept what you do, and just know that there will always be people that don't like you and that the more successful you get, the more there will be people who are jealous, vindictive, or look at your success. And rather than taking it as inspiration that if that person can achieve that, so could I, see it as, why should they have achieved that? Why not me? And they get all negative. Um, be the person who, who concentrates on being the best possible you. Okay. And what are values you have in terms of the people you mix with well, and yourself? Um, me personally, I don't mix with a lot of people. Um, I'm not a massively social animal. I will, there are people who are in my audience who are, who do resonate that I will meet up with um and sometimes that's small groups sometimes big groups like specialist conventions you know like your doctor who fans that go to a doctor who convention that there are similar in the magic community because i still magic still my hobby even though i don't particularly concentrate on that as a career anymore um so generally speaking it is just don't cause anyone any undue unnecessary pain or hardship Keep yourself to yourself. I just, that's me personally, because don't be bothered. Does it matter if somebody else is social media posts to getting more likes than yours? Is it really going to change your world? No. If you get your sense of worth in life through getting more likes on your social media post, you need to closely examine what you're doing with your life. Seriously. Okay. And what has been the biggest achievement in your life? What, what's something that's happened in your life that you're most proud of? Oh, without a doubt. Um, it, it's, it's unquestionably uh, the thing that I'm proudest of is how exceptionally talented, uh, academically bright, but also creatively talented uh, and friendly and well-liked amongst so many different social circles um just by nature of the amazing person she is that my daughter has become and is oh fantastic and what does she do the same sort of thing as you or no no she's far more talented um far more difficult things she does like singing and dancing multiple different you name it from ballroom dancing to modern dancing to tap to ones I've never heard of, acting, um, create normal art, painting, drawing. She just massively creatively talented. Okay. No. And, but academically as well with your normal stuff. I mean, your normal stuff, your maths, your English, your arithmetic, and all that. She's a, she's a, you know, consistently a grade A student. Um, whereas, you know, I didn't pay much attention to such things at school. So I'm immensely, on all levels, immensely. That's what I'm proudest of in life. And has she turned what she loves into a full-time job where she doesn't have to do other things? Um, 
Well, she she's still a skill. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. But but yeah, ironically, she kind of um, she is earning money um, because she 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 she's got a management company and has appeared in um, television shows and um, films. Um, you don't see her face, but she plays a big part in a thing called Creeped Out. Um, a children's uh, thing that's on Netflix in most places of the world. Series season two, you'll see um, the curious, a big character in that. That's at the beginning and end of each program is played by Ashley Smith. So yeah, way more talented than me. Yeah. So and okay. Well, I just want to say I will. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of things to think about, and I think a lot of people are going to think about a lot. And I will probably edit this podcast and I produce it around a month or two. Whenever, yeah. Just let me know when so that I can uh, share it around for you. Yeah, and I'll I'll get out to as many people as possible. And yeah, just make the most of what this this time we're in, and I will drop you a message. All right, dude. Yeah, uh, as soon as you do. Once it's out there, I'd say I'll share it to all my. Uh, I've got a mailing list of people that sign up for a newsletter, so I'll send it to them as well as on all the social media platforms and whatnot. Yeah, let's see what happens. And I think, yeah, just take care, and I'll speak to you soon.